0: Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast is sponsored by our friends over at Paleo Valley. We know that chronic inflammation is at the root of every single degenerative disease. And so if we're going to thrive in life, we've got to do things to help encourage a healthy inflammation response in our body. One of the best ways we can do that is take herbs that help support inflammation and keep inflammation under control the most well-studied herb for doing that is turmeric turmeric inhibits the inflammatory nuclear factor kappa beta and stat three pathways these are genetic pathways that amplify inflammation in our body and by inhibiting these turmeric really helps support good blood flow joint health brain function our ability to think sharply and quickly and have good memory mood and just an overall good mindset Now, when it comes to taking turmeric, you know, certainly we can be putting it on our our food, you know, and taking food-based forms of turmeric, right? A lot of people will use the most well-studied compound, which is curcumin. However, what we know is that whole food-based turmeric has nearly 300 other beneficial components than just curcumin alone. And so again, curcumin is extremely powerful. But the research shows that taking a whole food-based turmeric complex can be much more beneficial. Now, the problem with turmeric is that it notoriously has low bioavailability on its own, and the body has a hard time absorbing it. It really needs a good soluble fat to absorb it, and that's why Paleo Valley, with their turmeric complex— they added coconut oil. I mean, you think about like a, like a curry with turmeric and coconut oil, and it's got different warming herbs, black pepper. You know, it's a, a, a popular Indian dish, the curry. That's really what allows it to absorb the best, the fat, the warming herbs. And that's what Paleo Valley did when they created their turmeric complex. They added coconut oil, they added black pepper. And that combination has been shown to increase the absorption of turmeric by 2000%. On top of that, they also added in ginger, rosemary, and cloves, which are herbs that really support brain brain function. They support healthy inflammation, immune health, good digestion, and blood sugar stability. So you get all of that in the Paleo Valley Turmeric Complex. I'm a huge advocate of this supplement. I take it on a regular basis. And you can take it now as well and get a special discount. In fact, go to paleovalley.com forward slash drjockers. And use the coupon code JOCKERS, just my last name, JOCKERS at checkout. That will save you 15% off your order. So guys, if you want to keep inflammation under control and really thrive in life, try out the Paleo Valley Tumeric Complex today. Again, use the coupon code JOCKERS at checkout to save 15%. Well, hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today I have the honor of interviewing Carolyn Ladowski and she is an expert when it comes to advanced genetics, nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics. We're gonna talk all about the epigenetics of brain inflammation and mood disorders and strategies to heal. So we're gonna talk about how inflammation can impact your serotonin pathway, your dopamine pathways, your histamine levels, and really cause a lot of unwanted symptoms in your body. So we talk a lot about mood disorders here and different uh, other symptoms associated with inflammation. So you guys are going to really enjoy this, this interview. And Carolyn is the founder of MTHFR Support Australia. She's a health scientist, a researcher, a naturopath, a herbalist, and a nutritionist. And she's also studied courses in genetics at Duke University, where she studied genetics and evolution and the University of Maryland, where she studied genes and the human condition from behavior to biotechnology. And these were very advanced courses that she took. She's a world expert when it comes to nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics, really how our environment or the nutrition that we take impacts our genes and how our genes impact our ability to absorb different nutrients that we're consuming. And she's currently doing her PhD at the University of Technology, Sydney, study the effect of different forms of folate on fertility in those with mthfr polymorphisms you guys can find out more about her at mthfrsupport.com.au where she has programs for both lay people as well as uh, practitioners who want to really learn more about genetics and how to help their clients uh, dealing with different genetic polymorphisms So with that said, guys, you guys are going to love this interview. If you haven't left us a review, now is the time to do that. Go ahead and leave us a five-star review. That helps us reach more people and impact more lives with this message. Thanks so much for doing that, and let's go into the show. Well, hey, Carolyn, really great to be able to connect with you. I'm really excited about talking more about this topic of the epigenetics of brain inflammation and mood disorders and things people can do to be more aware of how their brain, how the environment is impacting their brain, um, things that they're around, uh, different pollutants and chemicals and, you know, all the different things that may be impacting their mood and also strategies to heal. So it's a really, really great topic. So let's start, Carolyn, by just talking about your story and how you got involved in this.
1: Oh, David, it's actually a good story. I I was, I'm very particular about my blood work and I really like to understand what's going on with the blood. So I used to always check folate levels and B12 and half of the people had a high folate level and I thought what's the significance of that? Why would people have high folate? And I asked the labs and said, you know, what are you, what are you measuring? And they said, derivatives of folate, which actually didn't tell me anything. So then when I asked the doctors and specialists, they said, oh, that's a good sign. They're eating a lot of leafy green vegetables. And I thought, nah, nah, that actually doesn't fit with the person sitting in front of me. So I sort of did a deep dive and I couldn't find anything. And I was at a conference in Adelaide here in Australia about. 11, 12 years ago, and a woman that was presenting just happened to mention MTHFR was associated with folate levels in the blood. And I made a beeline for her and said, what is MTHFR? And that's really how the story started. I then deep dived into that, spent months and months and months researching it. And at the time, we didn't have methylfolate here in Australia. So I used to import it from the US, put it in little bags for the patients that I saw had this high folate, got them off folic acid, changed their diet, gave them the new form of folate, methylated, and lo and behold, they started to improve mentally. The women started to stop miscarrying. And I thought, okay, we're on to something here. And that's really got what got me interested in the epigenetics and the genetic side of it. I just think being able to understand someone's genetic susceptibility is critical to their outcome
0: yeah i found that as well and so i definitely want to talk more about mthfr i know a lot of our listeners have a lot of questions when it comes to that genetic snip um but first you said that basically when you're looking at blood work and you're seeing high i believe it's serum folate right um you're seeing high levels you know as practitioners we're kind of trained to just look at that and say, okay, I guess I got enough folate, you know, in their blood, but obviously you were noticing the, this sort of pattern. And so high serum folate was actually an indication for you to actually give more folate. Is that, is that what you're saying here?
1: Exactly. Change the form of folate and give them the right form suited mm-hmm. to their genetics. And I, yep. I believe David, that B12 is exactly the same. Yeah. If you've got someone who has a high level of B12 and they're not supplementing with B12, that for me is an indication. They've got a genetic issue with B12 transportation.
0: Mm, that's good to know. Now, are you looking at other biomarkers like homocysteine, for example? Like if-
1: yes, I am because As you know, the the homocysteine levels are really dependent on a combination of folate, B12, trimethylglycine and B6. And so if someone is high, then we know that there's obviously a problem in that recycling or elimination of homocysteine. But in actual fact, our chronic patients, they're more low. Hmm. And you know, then the problem becomes, well, why would you be low in homocysteine? Because that's a critical marker, because it's homocysteine that is picked up with the help of B12. It then joins with the methylfolate, and that's how we make our SAMe, our universal methyl hmm. donor, that basically switches everything on and off. Hmm. So it's really important to understand if it's low, it's just as bad as it is if it's high. Mm. Things like mean corpuscular volume, you'll see that on the blood work as MCV. That's a good marker to also give us an uh, indication that folate is low, or a chronic white cell count will also tell us there's a B twelve issue, or saturation percentage with your iron markers can also tell us that. Hey, that looks like a B twelve issue. If you put it together with other markers,
0: mm. this is good. You know, I really like looking at blood work and really understanding more things that are going on. Now, when I'm looking at homocysteine, I look at like a range for like six to nine. Is that the range that you're using? So like if it's under six, then you get sort of getting concerned perhaps they're not getting good enough, you know, enough amino acids like methionine or there's other other issues that are impacting it.
1: Yes. I, I'm probably a little bit of a finer um ideal level. So my ideal level is seven to eight, but I'm I'm very critical. I, I want to I mean, get into that really seven to eight in that range. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'm getting <laughs> tighter in that range because yeah. I, I know that if I can bring it back, that's a really good sign because you well know that homocysteine levels, you know, set off this cascade. If they're too high, they're going to be setting off cascades of inflammatory markers and all sorts right. of things. And we don't want that. Yeah, also- high
0: Homocysteine is associated with cerebrovascular disease Neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's, heart disease. So it's very inflammatory when it's really high. Now most people don't really think much of it when it's too low. But you were talking about how that means we may not be producing enough SAMe, and SAMe is a critical, you know, uh, you know, methyl donor. and It's critical for production of neurotransmitters and a lot of other things.
1: Spot on. And I think when we we assume, particularly when you talk about MTHFR, we assume that well, the medical fraternity really will only associate MTHFR as an issue if you've got high homocysteine. If you don't have high homocysteine, they say it doesn't matter. But in actual fact, I don't think that's technically right. When you look at the patients that are coming to see us, there's a lot that do have high homocysteine levels, but the sheer majority have low. And they've got homozygous MTHFR, They don't necessarily have these clinical representations of cardiovascular disease, but they may well be miscarrying multiple times. They may well have chronic fatigue syndrome. They may well have detox issues where they're overreacting to mold and lime and things like that. Their body just doesn't cope. It's because the substrate that you need for these pathways to kickstart, they're just not being supported. Uh. And I think, you know there's a lot of talk David about you know oh we you know vegetarian and vegan um this whole movement i guess after that podcast a few years ago the documentary but i i really think we've got to be careful because methionine you can only get from meat protein that's the precursor to SAMe. creatine you can only get from meat protein and that's the that really saves methyls in the system because 60% of all SAMe use every day is made up from creatine production. We we use it up for creatine. So if you're low in creatine and the body goes, hey, I need to make more creatine, you're bottoming out your SAMe, which is then going to affect you mentally, uh, detox wise, estrogen dominance, and all these things kick on and probably the most significant thing for vegan and vegetarians is the lack of b12 yeah for sure you don't have that you can't use this methylated folate which is key to making same so i worry about vegan and vegetarians i know they think they're doing the right thing but from a biochemically but i i would look at it from a biochemical point of view and say are you genetically okay with doing that mm. Yeah. Because I find some that, you know, 18 months to two years after they become a vegan and vegetarian, their health goes south and it's really quite significant.
0: Yeah, I agree. I see that as well. And that is definitely a concern. Let's go back to MTHFR. You know, a lot of people have heard of that. Some people have had genetic testing done that have shown gene variants at that particular one. And that's, I believe, the most well-studied uh, enzyme or, or, or genetic SNP, single nucleotide polymorphism, um, and what? Let's let's talk more about what it is, right? And if you do have issues there, how that can impact somebody's physiology.
1: Sure. So MTHFR stands for methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. Essentially, it's a fancy word for a gene that encodes an enzyme that allows us to make our active folate. So the biologically active folate in the body is 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. And we've got a nice little line of folate genes that help us take the folate we eat and then convert it all the way down to active folate. That's the end goal, is active folate. And we call that methylfolate. And the last step to do that is the MTHFR enzyme. So if you have, so David, let's say everybody in the world has an MTHFR gene and your parents will randomly donate one of their two genes to you. So let's say your mum and dad both have one copy of the C677T. So there's two variants, there's actually 30 MTHFR enzymes, but there's two that, as you said, are most widely studied. And that's the C677T and the A1298C. So let's take example, your parents, they donate one of the MTHFR C677T to you. Now let's say they are both, they both have one copy those they could randomly give to you one copy which means you become homozygous two copies uh-huh. and that means that your enzyme capacity is down regulated by as much as 65 to 75% which is massive yeah. now if you've randomly got one copy then that's about a 35 to 40% but if you got one C677T and one A1298C, we call that compound heterozygous, and it's about a 50%. So you can see why that might cause an issue, because if you've got a down regulation of, say, 70%, and you get stressed, so one of the key things that uses these methyl groups that we need more than anything is stress. So we're stressed, and particularly you consider the last two years with covid how much stress has everybody been under, financial stress, physical stress, that then goes, okay, I need methyls to deal with this and what happens, we get this flow-on effect and they sink in a deeper hole because they can't get out. But if you were giving them methylfolate through that stressful time, the hole doesn't appear because they're being supported with what they can't make genetically. And that's the end goal is all these potholes in the genetics need to be plugged up. So methylfolate is critical because without it, you can't have methylation.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's so, so critical and so important. And, you know, when we talk about inflammation in general, we see a lot of people that are dealing with inflammation have mood disorders, right? Shows up in depression, anxiety, bipolar, irritability, um, addiction problems, right? And so, why why is that? What what kind of pathways are being impacted there? Obviously, MTHFR and methylation is being impacted. What are you seeing oftentimes with this?
1: Yeah, there's a there's a whole lot of cascades that happen when our body is um, inflamed, and that could be infection. It can be gut gut bugs. It could be COVID. It could be a virus. It could be a bacteria. So the body goes okay, I sense that there's something going on here. I'm going to upregulate my inflammatory pathway short-term only so that I can deal with this. And a whole lot of what we call cytokines, messengers, then come into the fore and go, alarm, alarm, alarm. Okay, I've got to do something. And in doing so, they create a substance called nitric oxide. And nitric oxide is, again, a short phase reactant. It's there to do a job. It's a really important job. But the problem is a lot of these inflammatory pathways are not being upregulated for days or weeks, but they're being upregulated for months or years. And that sets off a whole lot of issues as far as our body being able to cope with that. And one of the most important pathways is a pathway we call the kynurin pathway. And it's a a bug clearing pathway, whose again, end goal is NAD. It's a derivative of niacin, but its job is to produce NAD. And along the way, it produces two really key things to help us clear these bugs. One is quinolinic acid and one is kynurin acid. Now, when the body says, okay, there's inflammation, this pathway gets upregulated. But the problem is this pathway is critical to how we make serotonin. And serotonin is our, you know, nice mood, feeling good, happy with the world type um, neurotransmitter. And so if 95% of our serotonin can go into this pathway, which means we don't have enough tryptophan to make serotonin. So tryptophan is being stolen and we don't have enough for serotonin. And that's why we get sad. That's why chronic illness makes us depressed. And we've had a lot of young kids that have, you know, gone into psychosis after someone trying to deal with gut bugs. Mm. So it's, and, and think also too, that most of our serotonin is also made in the gut. Yeah. So this pathway is robbing us of important mood enhancing chemicals that we then can't make. And we, and that's why we get depressed.
0: So for we're under long-term stress and inflammation from leaky gut, from toxins that are impacting our body, from infections, from, you know, any number of things that we've talked about, you know, just that can drive up inflammation in the body, then what happens is we start going down this kynurenic pathway and we start basically taking serotonin and shunting it down this pathway. And we end up with lower levels of serotonin. Serotonin really is a kind of a mood stabilizer, helps us to feel good. And now we become deficient and so less responsive to that um, and are you testing or like is there a way that you can measure this? I know on the organic acid test, I know uh my team and I will use the Great Plains organic acid test, and we can look at um quinolinic acid, kynurenic acid, right? I don't know if I'm saying those exactly the way that you say them. Um we look at five HIAA, which is a you know breakdown product of uh serotonin as well, right? So we can actually kind of measure what's happening there. Is that is that how you're measuring it as well?
1: Yes, David, it is. So we use the organic, the Great Plains organic acids here too. And we pair that with what we know about this the person's genetics. So we'll look and say, okay, what what are the genes around your serotonin production? And I think I've found an association, those people that have upregulate upregulated pathways that you know naturally will decrease serotonin levels, they get affected much more when this upregulation happens because the, you know, the 5% of tryptophan that is normally going to serotonin production, they don't even get that. Yeah. And so I think they fall in a much deeper hole. And what are some of those like
0: ways? Is that the MOA the, or the MAO? Um, yeah, MAO. Mean, right, because that's what breaks down serotonin. Correct. So, yeah. Yeah. And it
1: also breaks down histamine Uh, and this is another part of this picture because you know that's right so when you get inflammation mast cells are activated and what do mast cells do they release histamine again to deal with what's going on with the inflammation so then you start getting all these systemic effects of histamine production and anxiety depression headaches migraines premenstrual pain i mean it goes on and on and on and people don't realize that that you know just being for example exposed to mold is a massive trigger Mm. and we i don't know if you've seen in the news but we're we're in the middle of horrific floods here in australia no i didn't well we've got literally towns underwater The 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 you know the water's just come up and completely covered their their roofs they're sitting on the their roofs being rescued by helicopters and you have those sort of floods at times in the US too but what people don't realize is any exposure to water within 24 to 48 hours you can be building mold behind your walls mm. and that probably has one of the most detrimental effects to methylation and inflammation because these mast cells get activated and enzymes get blocked that we need to be working. And you mentioned MAO or monoamine oxidase, it's critical in histamine breakdown. So if you have a genetic deficiency in your ability to break histamine down or serotonin, then when inflammation strikes, you are going to be really knocked off your perch.
0: Wow. Yeah, this is, uh, this is really important. A lot of people that are listening to this are actually dealing with histamine issues um, where a lot of their issues, like you said, headaches, um, that's a common one. Also things like skin issues, rashes, flushing can be a common issue associated with this. Um, fatigue in general, right, can be another issue associated with histamine. And, um, yeah, and even chronic pain, you know, so there's a lot of different issues that are associated with this. And just kind of understanding these pathways can really help. Now, what are some things that you have found that really help support um, you know, serotonin production and support just reducing inflammation in the brain?
1: Well, I love resveratrol mm-hmm. and I love N-acetylcysteine. Yeah. Because we know that has really good um and quick ability to dampen inflammation down. Yeah. Um, quercetin, you, you would yeah, say course it course differently. It quercetin. We've got I've got my Aussie accent oh, here. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so they they're really important and N-acetylcysteine, I think for me is a standout because yeah. it not only regulates quinolinic acid, so if that's too high, so like anything David, a little bit is great, yeah. But too much then becomes problematic, and, and that's know, when
0: what... we see it on the organic acid test. It's like red flag, red flag, yes. right? Because it's, it's acid. so. I don't see I... it. I don't see it elevated or flagged high often. But when I do, it's like red flag. yeah
1: that's right. Because that's neurotoxicity and neuroinflammation, a hundred percent. Yeah, and so I find resveratrol and NAC, uh, n uh, absolutely sensational because NAC can get rid of that quinolinic acid. It's yep. an antioxidant for the brain. It's neuroprotective. It, it's and it's and it, the other thing it does is help sulfate our serotonin. So it is helping dissipating it a little bit, particularly for those people that don't break it down as best they should.
0: Now NAC got a lot of uh press, so especially associated with like COVID and. Upper respiratory issues because not only is it a glutathione precursor because of the cysteine is kind of the key peptide that's needed or the key amino acid needed for the production of glutathione. And glutathione is our master antioxidant, but also it's very mucolytic, right? So it helped to kind of reduce or thin out the mucus that people would have when they have upper respiratory issues. Now, um, from a functional health perspective, you know, and, and there's a lot of, you know, conversation about this. But a lot of people will prefer things like um, liposomal glutathione or acetylated glutathione in general to just bypass the digestive system, upregulate glutathione, as opposed to NAC. I've always kind of been a fan of using both. Um, do you see benefits using NAC over like an acetylated or a uh, liposomal form?
1: I do and my my first step would always be to put the n-acetylcysteine in because i'm not just looking at it as a glutathione precursor although that is super important yeah. it's it's it does so much more than that and when you when you know that it's actually physically helping with ocd it's helping the neurotoxicity of the brain and i do agree with you that the acetyl um, glutathione is way better to to help the brain than just normal glutathione but i have so many people that you know are mthfr homozygous they they have detox issues in the first place so i never like to go in and stimulate with glutathione until i know they've got the capacity to detox yeah and i think this is also the same with liposomal products technically they're great. But if you've got major inflammation, then we know you've got high nitric oxide, you've got high superoxide, and that creates this very damaging free radical called peroxynitrite. Wow. And it's, it's damaging cells. It's damaging the brain. It's breaking down our fatty cell membranes. So if you give a liposomal product How is it going to get into the cell if you've got a damaged cell membrane? Cholesterol is not being incorporated. Your phospholipids are not being incorporated. I think we come in a lot of the time with glutathione and particularly liposomal way too early. NAC NAC has way more advantages, I think, initially over glutathione.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's an interesting note to, to take
1: i just want to interrupt this podcast
0: and take a moment and tell you about the importance of electrolytes we all need electrolytes in order to produce energy in order for our nervous system to function well on a daily basis and most people are just not getting enough electrolytes especially when they start on a low-carb ketogenic style diet or if they're doing intermittent fasting and this is because When you go on a low-carb diet or if you're practicing fasting, you get a big drop in insulin. And insulin's job is to actually cause you to retain sodium and other electrolytes. And so you actually start urinating them out. So when you're on a low-carb diet, you're burning fat for fuel, but you need more electrolytes. In fact, there's a condition called the keto flu. And this is where people feel really bad when they start on a low carb keto style diet, or if they start doing intermittent fasting and they don't have the electrolytes to support them. This is why I'm a huge fan of Element. It's L-M-N-T, that's the name of the company. And they contain a science backed electrolyte ratio. That means a thousand milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, none of that stuff. You know, the average sports drink has 260 milligrams of sodium. That's not enough. 65 milligrams of potassium. That's a really low amount. They don't have magnesium. And the average sports drink has 29 grams of sugar. That's going to spike your blood sugar and your insulin levels. Element, again, has 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. No sugar. It's flavored with stevia. And right now, as a member of our community, Element has a very special offer for you. You can get a free sample pack of seven different packets of each flavor. They have great flavors, citrus, raspberry, watermelon, orange. Again, all flavored with stevia, all natural sweetener. It's not going to impact your blood sugar. They also have an unflavored. So if you're not into that or if you don't do well with stevia, you get the unflavored as well. But you can get the sample pack now for free and you only cover the cost of shipping, which is roughly $5. Just go to the site, drink Element, so drinklmnt.com forward slash drjockers. Again, that's drinklmnt.com forward slash drjockers to get your free sample pack of Element. Again, Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab and go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Guys, try this out. You're going to see a big jump in your energy and your performance. I mean, if you're a high-level athlete, you need electrolytes, try this out today. You also mentioned resveratrol, quercetin. I know both of those are actually very good for dampening down the histamine response. Um, What are some of the other great benefits that you're seeing with resveratrol?
1: Well, I really like resveratrol because of the action that it has directly on these um, detox pathways. So it will um, help our, so that nitric oxide and superoxide that I was talking about and the peroxynitrite, resveratrol is really good for dampening that down. And I find it such a great neurological antioxidant that, It tends to calm down. If I use that as a combination with NAC, you you see that this high excitability in the brain can actually calm down. And and I think that's a lot of where the anxiety is coming from because you've got histamine, you've got quinolinic acid, you've got glutamate. We haven't talked about glutamate, but that's also another very excitatory um, product for the brain. And I think the combination of resveratrol and N-acetylcysteine really nicely dampens that down initially, certainly.
0: Well, that's good to know. And then also you mentioned quercetin. And of course, with COVID, quercetin also got a lot of headlines and a lot of uh, positive press. Um, you know, we already knew that it was, you know, it was, it was well-marketed for its anti-inflammatory effects and um, histamine reducing effects. You know, I've, there's a lot of different products out there that are kind of marketed for like seasonal allergies and they all have quercetin in them, right? Cause really good for helping balance histamine and mast cell response, uh, especially in combination with like something like vitamin C and N-acetylcysteine also is usually in those products as well. Um, but we also found out that it was a zinc ionophore meaning that it actually helped get zinc into the cells. And so how important is that here with, you know, we haven't really mentioned zinc, but this is really critical with this as well.
1: Oh, critically important because, and and that was some of the lovely research that came out through COVID was how do these natural ingredients actually help us over and above the drugs when we didn't have vaccines? Mm -hmm. That was awesome to be able to say, okay, the, the number one goal the number, and I still say to all my patients, is the inflammation. And this is where the combinations of these products were terrifically important. Remember zinc is, we talked about that pathway with the help of B12 uses methylfolate, that's zinc-dependent. The ability to recycle homocysteine is zinc-dependent. Zinc is incredibly important. It, it it supports our immune system. It is co-factored to so many of these critical pathways for us to be able to get out of the inflammation that you can't under, underestimate how important that is. And the quercetin for me is my, like, it's probably my one, number one thing that I love because it's the best natural antihistamine we have. So all those people that take an antihistamine every day, although it's helping them systemically, what they don't realize is an antihistamine actually reduces the enzyme in the gut that helps you deal with histamine, the Dow enzyme. And so you get yourself into a little bit of a a problem. If you're taking, say, a Zyrtec or something like that every single day, you're actually making yourself more reactive to histamine. So yeah. quercetin is awesome just to keep that inflammation under control cuz getting older the number one problem we have is inflammation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely it's so important. And then also to touch on zinc, you know, with covid we 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 heard a lot more now. You and I already knew it people that were, you know, natural health minded really always knew this, but zinc inhibits viral replication, right? And so it kind of first part of dealing with a a respiratory infection or something like that, you really have to stop or significantly slow down that replication. And zinc is so powerful for that, but you got to get the zinc in the cells. And that's really what helps. And of course, it also helps with, you know, keeping the inflammation under control as well. So yeah, so critical there. You know, quercetin really helps with that. And uh, and of course, it's also helping clean up some of the collateral inflammation, keep the immune system more balanced, right? To where it's able to do its job. Now, with quercetin, there was some debate in the natural health world about uh, as far as how long you should take it. And if you have certain genetic SNPs, how it could possibly, you you need to be careful taking it and the right dosage. Now, me personally, you know, I've used quercetin as with a lot of different clients, I've never seen somebody actually have a negative response. They always have a positive response when I use it. But you know, I'm always trying to be aware. Hey, could there possibly be a downside for certain individuals? Um, I believe, and you may have heard this. I believe it was like the T gene or something like that. Yeah. If somebody's not responding well to quercetin, do you have any comments on that?
1: Yes. Quercetin down regulates the COMT gene, catechol-O-methyltransferase. And the COMT gene helps us regulate our dopamine, but it also helps us get rid of toxic estrogen. And so there are some people when you give quercetin, you will make them anxious. You can make them cranky. You can get them. You know, they they they're likely to wow. go off their head, and they don't feel good. And it, that's the reason is that um, the quercetin is down regulating. So that applies to people who have this slow comp anyway. But people who have the fast comp, it's awesome. Yeah, right. And I I'm I'm a bit like you. I I don't. I mean, you never keep anyone on one product forever, oh, right? Yeah. You you're using products to get them out of a situation and to support pathways that we need supported while we can undo what's being done. That's, that's really what we're trying to do. And you never say, right, you will be, the only thing I say that about is B12. If I see people who have a genetic deficiency in the TCN2, transcobalamin 2, polymorphism, I will say to them, vitamin B12 injections are going to be your thing For the rest of your life, because you will not cope without them. But I very rarely say that about anything else because it's, you know, you're using it for a reason. If you're if you've got someone on quercetin, you're dampening down a histamine response until such time you can find the root cause. Was that mold exposure? What what uh, activated mast cells to the point where they're releasing histamine? And so you've got to go back, you do your organic acids, you do your mycotoxin tests. you do your blood work, and you go, okay, I know what I need to deal with. Once you've dealt with that, then the quercetin becomes a non-event because they're not getting the histamine responses anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, how would somebody know that they may have a sluggish COMT gene? Because you can get a genetic test and it will show polymorphism, but you don't necessarily know off of that if it's fast or if it's slow, right? You have to look at other markers. Where are some other markers that somebody might be able to look at, possibly give them an idea?
1: Yeah. Um, so let's say you've found in your genetics that your COMPT enzyme is fast. That predisposes you to having depression, hundred hmm. percent, because the lack of dopamine means that you're typically- breaking down
0: dopamine so quickly. Yeah. That's
1: right. Yes, it's it's just being dissipated and you can't keep it in the system. So things like low motivation, mm. um, addictive p- type personalities, they might be smokers, drinkers, or they might push their body to the limit because every time they do physical exercise, they're raising their dopamine, they feel better. Mm. So they become almost addictive with the exercise. You find that they will very rarely... Um, finish tasks that they start. On the flip side, those people with high dopamine—they're A-type personalities. They're go-go-go. Nothing really gets in their way to achieve their goals. The only thing that really overwhelms them is not getting through a to-do list in a day. And that's where Sammy is—you know—comes to the fore because you can help them relax with that. You never give set Well, I don't say never, but very rarely, if ever, would you give someone. Sammy, who is a fast Comte, because that predisposes them to things like bipolar. Mm. So, so
0: for those individuals, maybe tyrosine, DL-phenylalanine might be more. Helpful. Yeah.
1: Methylfolate. Absolutely. absolutely. And you talked about acetylated, acetylated tyrosine, yeah. absolutely critically important, but the environment can shift that. So let's say you are a Compt, well, let's say you're comp minus minus, your you tendency for low dopamine. But what happens is you've become exposed to mold. It's upset the inflammatory pathway. And mold inhibits two key enzymes. So does any sort of yeast exposure methionine synthase, which is how we use methylfolate, and dopamine beta hydroxylase. So that means that we can't break our dopamine down. So all of a sudden, you've got more dopamine in the system than you would normally have. So you may at that point be presenting typically with the higher dopamine um, phenotype, when in reality, that's not how you are normally. So that's where the organic acids test can be really helpful, because you're looking at these HVA versus VMA markers, and you're saying... Does it look like this person can't take their dopamine and break it down to norepinephrine or epinephrine? Mm. And so you get a lot of nice clues, uh, but you've got to be able to look at, you can't just assume because you're fast comp that that's the way you are when inflammation has hit you.
0: Right. That makes sense. Yep. So what you're saying with quercetin is, take it until you get the inflammation under control. Then you can obviously come off of it and kind of cycle it, right? Uh, yes. Maybe cycle it seasonally, right? Perhaps, you know, when there's more pollen, things like that, take a little bit more, less when there's not, and kind yes. of cycle it. And what kind of dosage do you like on quercetin?
1: I I can actually go quite high. So I might look at, you know, 500 milligrams, six, six a day. Wow. Uh, you know yeah, depending so on how so bad, bad they are grams
0: a day yeah. yep spread yeah. out dosage yep
1: spread out yes yeah. because and and if if they're comped minus minus and that's how they're presenting it's it's a really nice balance for other things you want to do as far as the dopamine pathway goes but some people do exceptionally well just with three three t- capsules a day so right. i think it, it it and it really does depend on the histamine breakdown genes.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, if their mouth a is slow, then they're going to have a hard time. If acetylation is slow, they're going to have a hard time. If they've got major gut stuff, they're going to have a hard time, so they're going to need more of that quercetin. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know for myself, my I have poor histamine breakdown, so no wonder why I thrive on resveratrol, NAC, quercetin, right? All those types of things, and take them regularly. I also notice a big thing I notice is that my skin is just a lot softer, right? Just taking that internally, even though I'm not putting it on my skin, um, I notice great skin benefits too. So from an anti-aging perspective, there's a lot of benefit because of the anti-inflammatory effects. So really good. Last thing I want to touch on was. Um, you talked about some of these symptoms of low B twelve. You talked about things like looking at your white blood cells. Um, you looked you talked about MCV, um, some some different components of like what's happening in our bone marrow, in the production of white blood cells, red blood cells, and how the red blood cells are maturing, how we're holding on to and utilizing iron. Can you talk a little bit more about that as we finish up here?
1: Sure, B twelve is for me probably one of the most important nutrients that we m- need to make sure we're yep. getting right. So we have we have multiple markers, but when you consider how B12 is made and how transported, so you eat meat, you need hydrochloric acid in the gut to cleave that B12. Mm. You then need intrinsic factor in the gut wall to absorb it. And you need these transcobalum that I was talking about to ferry it. Think of it like a train, ferries it to the cell. And then you need digestive enzymes to get it through that across that cell membrane. Then once inside the cell, the mechanism of the cell then will, will create your B12. And we need varying different genetics to be able to do that. So hydroxocobalamin is our precursor to our active B12s. We have methylcobalamin, which works on the brain, and we have adenosylcobalamin, which works on our energy pathways. So when you're assessing B12, you need to not only be looking at the genetic susceptibility, but you need to be looking at how these pathways and the organic acids is good at doing that. How do these pathways, are they supporting B12? Once I've tested B12, I'm really going off symptoms. If you're telling me there's numbness, tingle, tingling, dizziness, low blood pressure, high blood pressure, um, I'm going to be looking at your B12 levels. The way you walk. Do you walk with a tilt off to the side? You know, older adults certainly have problems with that. Um, being able to coordinate your um, steps downstairs are really important. What your mood is doing. So when you're evaluating B12, there's so many markers because cobalamin happens inside our citric acid cycle. It's what kickstarts our citric acid cycle. So without enough adenosyl or energy B12, you're going to fall into that more of a chronic fatigue. And you can see those citric acid markers in your organic acids. You can say, hey, there's something wrong here your fatty acid synth- synthesis, your beta oxidation of your fatty acids. Well, you can't do that if you don't have melonyl coa which comes from methylmalonyl-CoA, which is needs adenosyl, which is your other B12. So there's so many factors here that we need when we're evaluating, well, do I need B12? And my father-in-law was a, was a doctor, a really good doctor here in Australia. He never, ever saw a patient over 50 without giving them a B12 injection. Yet nowadays, if you go to a doctor and say, I would like a B12 injection, they say, why why would you want that? Your, Your markers aren't high. And we look at, for example, serum B12. It's not the best marker, but reference ranges are just getting ridiculous now. You know, we we here in Australia have 153 to 353 oh, yeah. as a reference range picomoles per liter. You have a slightly different. You have a nanograms per milliliter, but you look at that reference range, David. And at at 153, someone could potentially have irreversible neurological damage. Yeah. The, the Japanese reference range says you should be above 600 picomoles per liter minimum. And yet we're now saying 153 is acceptable. I just don't agree.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the American range, I want to see it over 800, like 800 at the lowest, right? And if it's high, I usually don't think anything of it. I just look at homocysteine. I look at some of the other factors. I look at MCV, right? We want that MCV to be you know, roughly somewhere between like 85 and 92, somewhere in that range. But if it's elevated, it could be an issue. Um, But yeah, I mean, we could talk all day about different elements of this and really how to analyze the blood work. So we'll have to do a round two at a later time. (laughs) This has been a wonderful interview, Carolyn. You've given us so many great nuggets and people can reach you at mthfrsupport.com.au. So if you wanna learn more about genetics, mood disorders, infertility issues these are things that carolyn's really really passionate about definitely check her out at mthfrsupport.com.au carolyn any last words inspiration or anywhere else that people can reach you
1: yes if you're a practitioner listening to this and you think wow i need to be doing this reach out to us because we have a fantastic practitioner training programs where we actually teach you how to do this and if you're someone who is a general consumer and you're sitting out there and this really touches you know, a thought, well, I would like to know what's going on with my genetic susceptibility, again, reach out because I think this is the way of the future, David. If you don't understand why you're always getting sick or you don't understand why there's cancer in your family or you don't understand where these pathways are taking you there's so much you can do i I like i find this it's not a negative thing at all it's such a positive thing to be able to say hey i don't want to end up like i ended up with endometriosis when i was 22 and i said to myself right my two girls they're not going to end up that way and i've been supporting their estrogen metabolism pathway since they were teenagers And that's the sort of things that we can be doing for our families. We can be an inflammation. I'm so glad you're doing this because inflammation is just the most critical thing that is affecting us at every level. We have to make sure going forward, the older you get, number one goal, get your inflammation down. So I thank you very much for doing this.
0: Well, thank you again, Caroline. I just want to acknowledge all the great work that you're doing. Guys, definitely check out our website again. And guys, if you know anybody that could benefit from this interview, be sure to pass it along. Sharing this information can literally save and transform somebody's life. So be sure to do that. And we will see you guys on a future interview. Be blessed, everybody.